Dark waters lay before them, dark forces came behind. To the left and right, the desert brought panic to their minds. The evil of that hour was stronger than the sun that beat on them with nowhere left to run. The chariots of Egypt drew nearer as they cried, yet Moses stood there calmly with a fearless faith inside. He said there is a power far greater than the sword. Stand still and you will witness a mighty salvation from our Lord. And then the Red Sea parted, for now there was a Thank you for joining us. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Is it too hard to follow Jesus? Almighty God, would you quicken this word 
And would you accomplish all that you desire in our hearts? Lord, we give you permission now to do whatever work is necessary in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits. Lord, would you make clear and quicken by your spirit this word? I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, is it too hard to follow Jesus? And before you quickly answer that, oh, no, it's not too hard to follow Jesus. And you're still walking in sin. You haven't come to terms with a robust truth of the gospel about Jesus Christ. I've watched men of great strength come into this congregation. And after they had been here for a while, they decided to leave. And the reason they left is they decided it was too hard to follow Jesus. Never mind that everything from start to finish is a free gift. That we don't earn any of our salvation. It's given to us. The problem is not with what's being given to us. The problem is what we're laying down. And we in America, we like to hold on to what we like and ignore what we don't like. We don't want to face the truth about ourselves before God. So if we can be a Christian and walk in the world... If we can be comfortable in church and also at the club, hey, I hang with both. And one man said to me, Pastor, I hang with the world and I hang with the church. I got the best of both worlds. Well, for him, following Jesus is not hard at all. He goes to church and he gets a pep talk. He gets strategies for success. He gets inspiration. He says, I come to church empty and I leave full. What's wrong with that pastor? Well, the problem is what he does with a full when he leaves. Because he goes and squanders it on the world. And then he comes back empty again. You realize when you come to church, you should not be coming empty. You should be coming to this house full and overflowing with the presence of God because all week long you've been walking in his presence. You've been filling yourself with his joy and his love. You have sacrificed everything through the week for your brother, your sister. You've testified that Jesus is Christ and you come to this house and there should be shouts of acclamation before Jesus because you had victory all week. And you've walked into this house ready to be explosive in your testimony about Jesus. I almost, before I started the sermon, got the mic and said, Is there anybody here with an explosive testimony of joy about what God did for you? Then I thought better of it and said, No, maybe I better be a little more reserved than that. But that day's coming real soon. Probably next Sunday. You have a week to get ready. (laughs) Jesus said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Now, when he said, follow me, where was he going? Where were we going to follow him to? It wasn't to heaven. It was to Golgotha. And he meant for us to follow him with our cross and die on Golgotha like he was going to die. Stripped of everything. Bare. Shamed. We want Jesus. If we do, we die with him. And we are then resurrected with him. Now it's this death and resurrection business that the church has such a hard time with today. You know, let's just bypass Calvary and let's go straight to the feel-good doctrine of the church. God loves you. Well, guess what? God loves you enough to let you go to hell. He loves you enough to not bore you with heaven. 
if that would be boring for you. So we turn in the scriptures to the book of Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Last week, I walked you through the model of the old covenant coming through the front door, the front curtain with your back to the Baal God of prosperity who is in the east, the Baal God, the sun God coming through that front entrance. And the first thing you must encounter, the brazen altar, bloody business. It's where you have to die. It's where you're laid on the altar. New Testament, Romans, the 12th chapter, first verse, you come and you lay your life on the altar, the brazen altar, and you become a living sacrifice before God, a living martyr before God. As you finish that work of confession, as you finish that work of repentance, as God cleanses you and makes you free and clean, and you're finished with sin, you then move around the brazen altar and you come to the laver. The laver is brass, meaning judgment, and it's also mirrored. So as you come to the laver, it's full of water and you begin to wash off everything that's left. That's where you change into linen clothes because you're going to go into the holy compartment of God. The brazen altar, you see yourself. There's no delusion. There's no fooling of oneself. And if the work isn't finished, you better head back to the brazen altar and get it done. And then you leave the laver and you come into the holy compartment. That's what this symbolizes, this raised portion of the platform where you're sitting is the brazen altar area, the area of conviction of sin. That's why I preach in the way I do, to make certain that the work of the brazen altar is finished in your life and to call you from that brazen altar into the labor to do the final washing and the putting on of the garments of righteousness. And then you come into the holy of holies. The holy compartment first, and as you come into that, you have over on your right side the table of showbread or the table of presence, or literally in the Hebrew, the table of face. One for each of the tribes of Israel. God wants face time with you. He wants intimacy with you. You know, you don't touch anybody's face that you're not intimate with. Just not done. Over on the other side, the candlesticks, the golden beauty shining forth, presence of the Holy Spirit lighting our way. And then up another step. And obviously, they've marred the model by moving their altar down here. It used to be up here. But symbolically, this church was built so that now I'm in the Holy of Holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is. Symbolically, going back to Noah's Ark, the place of safety. And so... This whole model is given to us to show us that God is going to finally invite us into the Holy of Holies after he's had sufficient face time with us. He's going to invite us into his rest. And the word rest in the Greek, Hebrews, the fourth chapter, is literally the reposing down place. God's bedroom, if you please, is the Holy of Holies. And he invites us into his bedroom to repose with him. You recognize that in marriage, we use the term intercourse for the closest intimacy between a man and a woman. That same word is used regarding God and the human heart. To know, to know. In the Hebrew, to know God means to have intercourse. 
the most intimate relationship with Almighty God. That's what he invites us into in the Holy of Holies, where we're in an ark, and, and there's, no, there's no rudder on an ark, no means of propulsion. You have no control over where the ark is going. Just as Noah had no control. Remember, there was no, there was no rudder on the ark. There was no diesel motor driving it. It was an ark. Meaning, place of safety. There is literally only one place of safety for the soul of man. And that is in the ark of God, in the holy compartment, the most holy compartment of the heavenly sanctuary. Anywhere else, there is an enemy in the land who designs to destroy us, to bring confusion and bitterness, harshness, anger, to in every way possible destroy all that we would love. There's nothing but violence and wickedness in the heart of man outside of that Ark of the Covenant. Now, that whole model that I've quickly reviewed with you again is the Old Covenant model symbolic of a new covenant. And this Old Covenant was governed by law. The speed limit in our area on the interstate is 55. Now, you can be as angry about driving 55 as you want to be. Frankly, the police are not going to care how you feel about driving 55. But if you design to rebel and go faster, they may well write you a ticket. Which of us has not had our heart drop through our shoes as we hear the siren and see the red light? Oh, sometimes I've driven by, and I haven't had a ticket, I can't tell you, maybe 20 years, 30 years. I shouldn't be telling you that. I might get one this next week. But you drive by the policeman, and you know they have you. They wheel out onto the highway. You saw the radar gun. You just pull off and wait for him. He has you. It's not a matter of, of how you feel. It's not a matter of whether you're a good person or not. It's not personal. So it is with the law. The law said, offer these sacrifices do these actions, go through these rituals, and it doesn't frankly matter how you feel about it. Just do it. And on the testimony of two or three witnesses, if you broke the Sabbath day, you were taken outside of the camp and you were stoned to death. Impersonal. Doesn't matter what you think, it doesn't matter what you... Feel It doesn't matter what you believe, the law rules. And so if you break the law, the machine is going to crush you. That's the law. We find in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Verse 1, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason... It can never, by the same sacrifice, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to God to worship. So there is something the law can't do. It can't change the inside of a person's heart. It can only condemn. It can only bring condemnation and punishment it can't change you inside. Verse 
Verse 5, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. In other words, God didn't want all these sacrifices of animals. But he did it as a model to teach his people something. And so now he has given Jesus a body. And Jesus is saying in verse 7, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Let's go back to the initial question. Is it too hard to follow Jesus? The answer is, yes, it's too hard to follow Jesus if you have not come to do God's will. If you still desire your own will, if you still desire your own life, you will cherry pick from Christianity those parts that are pleasing to you, that give you an emotional satisfaction, that make you think you've punched your ticket. Hey, I went to church. I'm a good person. What do you expect? What do you want from me? You think I, I can't be perfect? I mean, tell that to a little child. Little boy, just get used to it. You're going to always be a little boy and you'll never grow up and be a man. None of us would say that. The word perfect here simply means mature. Grow up. God wants us to grow up. He doesn't want us to always be a baby held in somebody's arms. Some of the kids have said to me, Pastor, you know what? I don't want to ever grow up. It's too hard to grow up. Any of you ever feel like that? I used to feel like, wow, if I could just... I left home at 13 and was sent to a boarding school... And, and for many years after that, I used to say, boy, if I could just go back home where I didn't have to work every day, where I didn't have to always be responsible, it'd be nice to just let dad be responsible again. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I was raised in the country. I had a good time. I didn't have to be responsible for much of anything. Just do what dad said or, you know, there'd be trouble. But other than that, I could duck out and work my way around the deal. I knew how to disappear when it was necessary. Any of you kids know how to disappear when there's work to be done? I see mama's face. comes a time when we have to grow up. And what Jesus is trying to teach us is that when we take the attitude that says, okay, I want to be like you, Jesus. I've come to do your will, O God. He can begin to do an amazing thing in our hearts. See, the law couldn't touch the heart. But God wants to replace the heart. Go with me further. Verse 8. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am, I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Holy is hagios in the Greek. It means to be set apart for a special purpose. Well, let's put it this way. I have a pile of wood that I'm going to burn in the stove. I see one log that I particularly like. I think I could take it to the workshop and make something out of it. So I pick that log up off the pile and I take it to my workshop where I'm going to begin to work on it. 
That's set apart. That's holy. Now, what if I come and try to pick that log up to take it to the workshop and the log says, I don't want to be cut. I don't want to be worked on. Just leave me in the pile. Okay, but you know if I leave you in the pile, you're going to burn. I mean, those are our options. Either burn or get cut. But for a while, it seems comfortable in the wood pile because you're with a lot of other logs just like you. And it seems comfortable there. The problem comes when the angels pick you up and carry you off to burn you. The Bible says then there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, great discomfort as reality finally dawns and we see the end of our life. Versus being taken into the wood shop of Jesus. Remember, he's the carpenter. Where he begins to plane off the rough places. Begins to make something of beauty out of our life. Now please... There's nothing comfortable about being planed and sawed and sanded. Any of you have bosses that are like sandpaper on you? You hear what I'm saying? So the new covenant is about not just legally saying, okay, a log's a log's a log. It's about picking that log up and taking it to the woodshop and beginning to transform it. We don't transform ourselves. God transforms us. As we say, I'm here to do your will, God. Have your way in my life. When I awakened this morning, the first thing I said to the Lord, and I do this every morning, Say, Jesus, I'm yours today. Do with me whatever you want to do. Order my steps. I'm on the altar of burnt offering. And then I begin to praise him and worship him. So my morning from first waking is praise and worship and submission And saying, I'm yours. Grow me up. Have you ever said to God, Jesus, would you just grow me up? Or are you more one who wants to grumble? The drive's too far on Sunday morning. I'm sleepy. Am I really sure I want to do this? Do I want to go and hear Pastor Ray deal with my sin again? I mean, won't he get over it? No. Because I'm going to heaven. I want you to go with me. And you can't go to heaven if you're not holy. If you've not been pulled out of that wood pile and brought into the workshop, and if God hasn't started creating something beautiful out of your life, you will not go to heaven. You'll burn. I'm going to have to face the judgment bar of God one day. And I suspect he's going to have a list of people. And I suspect he's going to name them and say, Ray, what happened to this person? What happened to this person? What happened to this person? Because he's made me responsible to pray for you. He's made me responsible to call you to righteousness. He's made me responsible. Now, my responsibility ends when I finish saying this to you. Then it's your responsibility. You get to decide. But if I haven't been honest with you about what the issues are, then your blood's on my hands, and I don't want your blood on my hands. I want your heart with me, joyful, in the presence of Almighty God. So have you ever said to God, Jesus, would you just grow me up? Just grow me up. I'm tired of being a kid. I'm tired of always making a mess. 
I'm tired of grumbling. I'm tired of complaining. I'm tired of going to the wherever it is you go to escape. I'm tired, tired of trying to comfort myself with relationships and with stuff. I'm tired of always playing the game. I want you, Jesus, grow me up. That's a terrifying thing to say. Because he'll do it. He'll do it. Verse 15, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Okay, now you know what he's doing in the workshop. Nobody goes into the workshop and starts to work without knowing what they're going to try to do, what they want to accomplish. Works of art don't just fly out of the workshop. Somebody had to have a vision. And God has a vision for what he wants for you. And his work is a heart work now. It's not an external work. That's why at the National Prayer Chapel you won't see in the program a list of do's and don'ts. If you're going to be a Christian, you have to read your Bible and you have to do this and you have to do that. No! That's old covenant. That's law. The work God wants to do is in your heart. He wants to write his laws on your heart. He wants to engrave his laws on your heart, his ways. So that when you wake up in the morning and you decide what you're going to do, your first thought is not what act of self-preservation can I do. When you get tired and want a break, your first thought is not, what worldly thing can I do to veg out? What movie can I see? What, what entertainment can I find? What food could I eat? Rather, the very heart of you, the very inclination of your heart, will be to do the will of God. To walk in love and joy and peace with those around you. Are any of you drama kings? Or drama queens? Oh, you know how to stir it up so that you can escape in a cloud of smoke like the octopus put his ink out in the water and off he goes and everybody has a mess to clean up. Now God wants to write on our hearts his ways. He wants to engrave us with his name. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. There's no sin God can't forgive you for. There's no wrong he's not willing to put under the blood. There's no habit, there's no way, there's no bondage that God will not break in your heart. There's nothing that can keep the power of Christ from setting you free if your heart is set to do the will of God. Verse 18, and where these have been forgiven, there's no longer any sacrifice for sins. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Remember, we just talked about that. We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. 
Did you ever, when you were a kid, get caught doing something? And oh, you just carried on about how sorry you were. And the reason you carried on about being sorry was because you didn't want the punishment that you knew might come. But if you could convince the authority, whether it's mom or dad or school or wherever, that you were really sorry and you cried alligator tears, then you wouldn't have to face the punishment. I can remember many times knowing just how to fine-tune the act so that I could walk away unscathed and brag to my buddies I got away with it. Ever done it? Can't do it with God. Because God's not operating by the law. He's operating by the heart. And you can't hide the truth of your motive from God. So he says, come with a sincere heart. Don't play games with God. Full assurance of faith. Our hearts sprinkled with blood to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. That is the work of the labor. So it's the blood and it's the water. And we're washed clean. And we're dressed in white linen. And Revelation tells us that that white linen are the righteous acts of the saints. In other words, when we next face the opportunity to do something evil, we choose, no, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to sacrifice what I have with Jesus for the momentary pleasure I might get out of that. It may mean for you turning away from Getting drunk, or smoking, or lying, or cheating, or stealing. You know, you're at the office and they owe you more than they're paying you. You're at the shop and they owe you more than they're paying you. So go ahead and take that home with you. You deserve it. Just sold your soul. We're talking about a a person who no longer is willing to sell their soul. They want their soul intact. And they want it to belong to Jesus. And they want to do his will. Now notice, verse 25. It's a strange little saying right in the midst of all of this. But I'll explain it in just a moment. Well, let's go to verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Spur, jab. In other words, when your friend sees you hesitating about doing what is right and thinking maybe you'll go the wrong way, the Lord's saying, be a good friend and give him a jab. Push him over the edge. Don't let him easily walk in unrighteousness. You see your wife about ready to go down the wrong road, stop and say, honey, are you sure you want to do that? Or you see your husband headed toward the refrigerator. Are you sure you want to do that, honey? I thought we agreed. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, be in the house of the Lord. Every time the house of the Lord is open, be here. Because by being here, you're constantly called to walk in love with Jesus. You're not given strategies for success. You're given strategies for dying. For letting it go. 
for giving up the world and going for Jesus. That's why we so often in this house say, there's only one reason we've come here. We've come here for Jesus. You all didn't come for me. And frankly, I didn't come for you. I love you, but I didn't come for you. I came for Jesus. Because I've chosen in my heart to do his will. And sometimes it's easy to do the will of God. And sometimes I need a swift kick to help me move on. I suspect the same is true of you. This is one of those swift kicks, verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of the judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Now, right on top of that, he begins the most astonishing series of statements. I want to read them to you. Verse 32, remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were, who were treated so. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he's promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But of those who believe and are saved. I'm witnessing to a a wonderful Muslim family. And they want to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But right now they're terrified. Because they know that if they accept Jesus as Savior, they can never go home again. They know that if they go home, they'll be killed. Now that's a price. We've had it very soft and easy in America. But this kind of persecution is rampant in China, Vietnam, the Sudan, Indonesia. Many places in the world to be a Christian means you have a bullseye on you. They will kill you. And every week I read accounts of Christians in other nations who are being executed for following Jesus, who are losing their homes, who lose all their possessions. What's in your heart? For some of you, it's a bit of an inconvenience just to drive this far. You consider that persecution. Persecution. 
For some of you, it's difficult just to get up out of bed at 11 o'clock and start getting ready to go to church. What would happen if church were at 5 a.m. to escape the authorities so they wouldn't arrest you and put you to death? See, when God looks down, he doesn't see Americans and say, oh, they're special. He's not looking for special, spoiled Americans. He's looking for men and women who will take a stand and say, I am here to do the will of God. If my property's confiscated, I'll praise his name. If things get tough and difficult, I'll praise his name. I've just walked through that with you watching. As my sweetheart died, I still came and preached the word to you. And I had a smile on my face. How could I do that? Because I know where Jan is. And I know where I'm going. I know what the place is on the other side. I know this is a temporary situation. I'm not looking for something here. I'm looking for something over there. But see, it's like an iron ball that we have in our gut when we're born. An iron ball of self-will that says, I'll have my way. And I'll bend the world to do what I want it to do. And if it doesn't, I'll get mad. I'll give them a piece of my mind. I'll work around them. Under, around, over. We'll do our will. You see, when you finally come to that raw place in your heart where you recognize you're going to have to give up that iron ball of self-will and you're going to have to submit it to Jesus and have it melted down, you're going to be in the workshop for some time. There's going to be sanding and cutting. There's going to be painting. There's going to be all kinds of things happening to you. Are you willing to say, I will do the will of God? Or are you going to be one of those who shrinks back because you're a spoiled American? An ugly American who wants his way? Are you willing to give up the fast life of America to follow Jesus Christ? Is there any price too great for Jesus Christ? I've walked through this valley of the shadow of death. And I've walked through with my head up, even though tears at times have fallen down my face. Because I know Jesus. Are you willing to walk the walk and not just talk the talk? Are you willing to give up your will and do the will of God? Almighty God. It's not about me, Jesus. It's about you. Lord, I confess most of my life, I've crafted everything in terms of how it would benefit me. How it would help me achieve my goals. I've even used the kingdom of God to try to achieve my goals of doing something great. Lord, I repent in dust and ashes. Mighty God, I want to do your will. And I renounce my will. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you once again for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Come visit us at nationalprayerchapel.com. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with grace. Joy with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Jesus.